Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, the encouragement, the challenge, the truth that it brings to our lives. And Lord, we give you our hearts today. You know our circumstances. You know where our hearts are at. And I pray that you would speak to each of us, Lord, what we need to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder how you slept last night. Hopefully not too bad, because else you might fall asleep in the next 20 minutes. That would be a shame. Um, The Sleep Foundation tells us that sleep powers the mind, restores the body, and fortifies virtually every system in our body. Sleep is really, really important for us. And it got me thinking, why would God have designed us to spend about a third of our lives asleep, being completely unproductive? It's interesting, isn't it? We were built to need rest, and it's not just for our bodies, but it's for our souls as well, as we hear in this passage today. I know if I don't get enough sleep, I'm not the best version of Claire that I could be. So I'm a little bit grumpy, uh, I'm a bit snappy, I'm slower, I eat stuff that isn't that good for me, I probably have a glass of wine after work, that kind of thing. And if I don't get the spiritual rest I need that Jesus talks about here, the same thing happens. I can't love well. And love is the measure of my life. I can't be present. I can't be available to those around me. And I don't experience the fullness of life that Jesus came to give me. So I'd go so far as to say that rest is a vital weapon in our Christian life. It's much harder to tempt a well-rested person, isn't it? And rest isn't just about ourselves and kind of feeling good in a me-time kind of way that everybody will tell us we must do. Uh, It's not just for the weak ones among us who can't cope very well without enough rest. No, rest is a heart issue. It's about discipleship and obedience And ironically, it's a really hard thing to do. Don't know if you've ever tried. It's not an easy thing to get to a place of rest. So the Collins Dictionary, every year, I don't know if you've followed this at all, every year they kind of publish their word of the year. Um, And they've just published the word for this year. So some of the contenders were sports washing, Um, So they kind of look at how words have changed and new words have have arrived over the years. So sports washing is a contender. Um, Partygate, remember Partygate? Yeah, that was a big word this year. Seems a long time ago now, doesn't it? Um, Kiev is a word that has obviously um, been used a lot more this year than previously. But the number one word for 2022 is permacrisis. Permacrisis. Um, definition is an extended period of instability and insecurity, especially one resulting from a series of catastrophic events. Kind of sums up 2022, doesn't it? You know, we've had a pandemic, we've had war in Europe, we've had political instability on another level, we've 
changed our monarch. We've uh, seen fuel prices soaring, and we've had the wider cost of living crisis. I think that qualifies as perma-crisis. And that's not to mention all the personal crises that we may have been living with in our own families. So that's what we're living in. We're living in a perma-crisis, and it's widely agreed that this has led to a huge increase in anxiety levels. We probably see it in those around us. We probably feel it ourselves, that rising anxiety. People are fearful and struggling. And the human tendency when we're living in that kind of environment is to want to make ourselves feel better because it's really uncomfortable living in anxiety and perma-crisis. And the solution the world gives us is to buy more, do more, achieve more, eat more, scroll more, all to distract ourselves from this anxiety around us and within us. We're swimming in this sea of um, insatiability, but it isn't working. The stats tell us that anxiety is increasing, happiness levels are decreasing. The world's solution is not working. And into this, Jesus speaks these beautiful, comforting, soothing words that say everything we need to know today. They should come up on the screen. These words are life and health and hope and freedom and everything that we need. They are the antidote to this culture that we're living in. They're almost like a protest against that culture, a way of taking a stand against the anxiety, a movement of resistance, if you like, a fight back against the insatiability of this hyper-materialistic world that we live in. Let's dive in and see what Jesus is saying to us today. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So Jesus starts this invitation with a diagnosis. All you who are weary and burdened, heavy laden. Jesus' diagnosis is that we are tired. We're carrying burdens and we're weighed down. There's a spiritual weariness and restlessness about us. And it's part of the universal human condition. It's what we live with. The Roman poet, Horace, who was writing just before Jesus was born, said that no one lives content. No one lives content. And I think we'd agree that that is still the case more than 2,000 years later. I think when we're young and kind of setting out in life, we think, oh, you know, uh, if I can just get the right grades in my exams, or then I'll just get the right job, and I'll meet the right person, and I'll find a house, and I'll settle down, and we'll have children. We think those things will make us content if I just get to the next thing. But kind of as you get on in life, you maybe realize that those are not the things that satisfy. Yes, they're all fantastic to have, but they don't give us that inner rest. 
And even in one of those amazing moments we sometimes experience, maybe, I don't know what it is for you, with me it would probably be sitting around a table with really good friends or family just enjoying a really special moment. Even in those times, the contentment is kind of tainted by a sadness that that moment's going to end. It's not going to last forever. You know, the holiday will come to an end. The season, the summer will end. Whatever it is, it doesn't last. We're chasing a perfection that we crave, but we can never reach. And we know that we fail every day to kind of reach the standards that we would like to reach. Jesus' analysis, the diagnosis, is that the striving, the desire to do more and to have more and to be more is what constrains us. It's what we are yoked to. Now, we don't see many yokes here in Stoughton. I confess that as a child, when I heard this read, I pictured an egg yolk. So just to avoid any confusion, here is a picture of a yoke. So with a yoke, you have two animals, and they've got a kind of halter around the animal's neck. And then across the two animals is a wooden beam that holds them together. And they, they, the, the idea is that they're pulling something, a plough, a carriage, a cart, something like that. The two animals are joined together. They can't go off in their own direction. They're not free just to go wandering because they're stuck together. Um, and Jesus is saying that that is how we are. We are um, at the mercy of the things that drive us to achieve, to impress, to be more, to do more, to have more. It's a yoke that chafes. It's a yoke that constrains us. And it's a yoke that will eventually run us into the ground because those things will never satisfy us. So here's Jesus' diagnosis. We're weary, we're burdened. I wonder if you feel that this morning. Maybe you haven't thought about how your heart is for a while. But if you stop and think, do you feel that sense of restlessness, that discontent? Well, to each of us, Jesus then goes on to offer an invitation. He holds out this beautiful and unexpected invitation to come to me. Come to me, Jesus says. This is like the essence, the kind of boiled down nuggets of the good news that Jesus offers us. And if you haven't yet ever come to him, you're missing an incredible offer, probably the, well, definitely the greatest offer that the world has ever known. So let's have a look at it. But those of us who've come to Jesus maybe a long time ago, we too need to hear this this morning. Come to me, Jesus says. And then he goes on, take my yoke. Give me your old yoke with its burden and its striving and its trying to prove yourself and take my yoke, says Jesus. And while it might sound a bit strange to lay down one yoke, only to then take up another yoke, the beauty of Jesus' yoke is that under his yoke, we're declared acceptable. We're declared perfect. We're declared righteous. Everything that we have spent so long striving to try and be, 
Jesus is saying, make me the way you prove yourself. I've already done everything that was needed. It's amazing. This is rest. When we can stop and know that there's nothing I need to add to make myself acceptable. There's nothing more that needs to be done. I don't know about you, when it, when it gets to the end of the day at home, I can only really sit down and rest when I know that I've done pretty much everything I should have done that day. So when I've done my work and my emails and tidied the house a bit, hoovered something, made the dinner, all of that, only then can I kind of sit down and rest. And it's what we see God doing in Genesis, actually. There's uh, another verse from Genesis 2. By the seventh day, um, God had finished all his, all his work. So by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. He didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he'd finished. He was satisfied. He looked around and he could say, wow, it's very good. And on the seventh day, he just enjoyed everything that he could see. It was very good. And wonderfully, our souls can now sit down and rest because all its work has been done by Jesus. So we can let the burden of having to prove ourselves fall off and take Jesus' easy yoke instead. The last words of Jesus on the cross, they should uh, come up. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Wonderful, wonderful words. It is finished. On the cross, Jesus took restlessness and our need to prove ourselves, and he gives us his deep, eternal rest. It is finished. Take my yoke. Lay down the old yoke of slavery and take the yoke of being a child of God. Exchange your old yoke for the wonder of rest in the work that Jesus has already completed. So that's the diagnosis and the invitation. What does it mean in practice? How do we access that rest? Well, Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, take my yoke and learn from me. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. So learning from Jesus. It's a daily harnessing of ourselves to the yoke of Jesus. Moment by moment, a whole life reorientation under this easy yoke. It's a surrender, an acknowledgement that he's the one in charge now. He's going to be the authority in my life. And I guess we probably flinch a little bit at that, don't we? It's a very alien concept in our day where 
the right to self-determination is so important, and nobody can tell me what to do. And I can be whatever I want, and all of that. Surrendering to Jesus sounds a little bit scary, but know that this Jesus is the one who is gentle and humble of heart. It's safe to surrender to a Lord like that. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And if we skip this part of the passage, it might feel like coming to Jesus is a kind of nice experience that we might have when we first meet him. But we will quickly be drawn back to the old way of thinking and doing and trying and striving because we are so extraordinarily forgetful, aren't we? And the noise from the world bombards us so strongly. So the tendency is that we just keep returning to that slavery of the old yoke. So let's circle back to the idea of rest as resistance. Rest is a, pro a protest, a, a subversive movement against the old yoke. But it's something we have to contend for, which sounds a little bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? Having to contend for rest, struggling to rest. But that's the reality. So what might resistance look like? How do we pursue and contend for rest? How do we live out the reality of this easy yoke? Well, if we pop back to Exodus, there's uh, a verse going to come up. The people of Israel had been in slavery for round about 400 years in Egypt. 400 years. It was deeply ingrained in their identity and their, their DNA. And after wandering for 40 years in the desert, God restated for Moses the Ten Commandments. And here is the fourth commandment. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So God tells the people of Israel that the way to remember that God has delivered them from slavery is to Sabbath, which means to stop, to rest, to pause. It's as though they are to deliberately and intentionally act out, live out their new reality. They no longer have a slave driver over them making them make bricks 24-7. That's no longer the reality they're living in. So they can stop and enjoy their new reality as free people. And this is a beautiful gift to us too. If you glanced ahead at all to chapter 12 in, in Matthew, you'll see that Jesus goes straight on after our passage to talk about Sabbath. Sabbath is a 24-hour period during the week where we lay our doing down as an old song says. We lay our doing down as an act of resistance, where we stop, 
we stop working, we stop shopping, we stop our self-soothing on our digital devices, we stop the noise that bombards us all week long. And on this day, we remember that we are not slaves. We are no longer under that old yoke. We are much-loved children of our Heavenly Father. And just like children are so much better than us at just enjoying life, on the Sabbath, we can be children who enjoy all that our Heavenly Father has given us. So Sabbath is a day to take notice of what God's given us. It's a day to enjoy his gifts, to get out in nature, to have a feast, to drink your best wine, whatever it is that you do to enjoy God's goodness. It's a time to be creative and to play, to enjoy time with our families and friends. I don't know, Sabbath has had a bad reputation, hasn't it, where it's a day to not do things and it's a day to sit at home and quietly think about Jesus. No, not at all. It is to do those things, but it's, it's a day to be recreated and to be reoriented back to our true identity. It's a day to stop, to delight, to worship. John Tyson, who's a um, pastor in New York, says this, Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do, rather we are who we are loved by. That's what defines us, the fact that we are children, not slaves. And of course, we need a daily rhythm as well, little mini Sabbaths through our day, just a minute to stop and remember who we are before our Heavenly Father, just to take time. I try and do that at lunchtime, just a couple of minutes, just stopping, reviewing my morning, praying about my afternoon, and asking Jesus to come and help me with all that that's going to entail, and again in the evening. Just moments through the day that tether me back to the beauty of Jesus. So rest is an act of resistance. We need to contend for it. And I can pretty much guarantee that it will be a raging battle in your life. Everything will conspire to make it impossible. It's true. That's what happens. If you've tried to Sabbath, you'll know this. Maybe you've even given up trying. But I want to encourage you to give it another go to keep persevering, because it's nothing less than Jesus' very best for us. So we've seen Jesus' diagnosis, that we're weary and burdened with all our doing. We've seen his invitation to come to me. And we've seen his command to practice by contending for rest. Let me read the verses again before we stand together. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light.
Shall we stand? I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and um, root, root those words in our heart. Root um, for us what we need to take. Holy Spirit, would you, would you come and meet us where we are at? You see each of our hearts. You see our burdens, our weariness. 